0: listening to the poster boy podcast our mission is to help young
1: entrepreneurs in small town america start grow and manage 21st century businesses are you ready let's get started hey this is chad hey and this is drew today we're going to talk about a quote chad what's the quote for today all right. Our quote today is an anonymous quote, actually, and it is, do one thing every day that scares you.
0: No, I, I don't want to say a really terrible joke, but do you think they had a fear of publicity? <laughs> Which is why they were anonymous when they said this. <laughs> well,
1: it's funny, whenever, whenever you sent this quote to me and said that we should use it for a podcast, the first thing that went through my mind is that, you know, I am, I am like the, a hypochondriac you know, that, that worries about all oh, no. undiagnosed, self-diagnosed, by the way, you know, yeah. and I had I, two of my biggest fears, the, the two are heights and dying, you know. And I always tell people that the reason that I my my fear of dying is so big is because my life is so great that I just can't imagine another phase being better than this. So I just am very, very content within my world and my universe. So that is where that comes from, and then heights—I don't know—I just think the idea of looking down and twenty stories, you know, I just have this ultra respect for gravity. And so,
0: (laughs) need need we remind our listeners that, and you can listen back to episodes one, two, or uh, three—you were actually a roofer.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that was probably I was probably the greatest roofer in the world because there was no one safer than me. Like I never walked up a ladder until I knew for a fact it was, you know, definitely stable and safe. And when I was on a roof, I followed all precautions at all times and I was ultra safe. But it definitely helped me. Yeah, it helped me with some of my fears. But,
0: you know, that that, that's awesome. It may be that what you just hit on was some of the best employees in the world to hire or those that are so, so fearful of that thing that. You know, imagine like I would want to, I would want an accountant that has a deathly feeling of getting audited, you know, like they would do everything in their power to never in their entire life get audited. So you would probably have some of the cleanest books you could imagine in your book, you know, maybe there's something empowering down this, down this thread. I'm, I would have to, the, the words on this one, but (laughs) maybe, maybe for the sake of a, of a terse 35 minute podcast, we can share some of our past experiences with things that we've tackled fears that we have on a daily basis weekly or monthly or as we went into something chad let's start with you what is a fear you overcame or an active fear something that scares you in your business you try to take on or maybe i
1: don't know yeah i, I have i have a pretty good fear. Yeah. so and, and, you know beyond, beyond my hypochondriac tendencies um <laughs> you know moving beyond those but uh so when i first started I, I, by the way, have no issues speaking in front of people or doing things like that. Okay. Um, but I I do have an issue like interrupting people and things along those lines. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. If people seem to be busy, I don't really like bothering them. And when I first started, we, as opposed to forcing teams to take pictures, we just set up and allowed teams, if they wanted us to take a picture, they would come over and we would take their photo. We found that that was a surefire way to go bankrupt in a week. Okay. So then we decided that we had to go out and take these pictures. So when a coach is warming up, we had to go over and ask them if we could take a photo of their team. And it, they, you know, especially when you ask them, they definitely said no, or a lot of them said no. And it was really uncomfortable because you're walking up and you're not sure what you're going to get. And so what I learned right away to do was to change the way I said stuff. And instead of saying, hey, coach, can we take a picture of your team? I would go over and say, hey, coach, we have to take a picture of every team in the event. If all of your players are here, do you mind if we get it over with? And while Ah. asking the same question, I was able to get around it. And it all came from the fear itself of having to interrupt them. You know, and then the second fear that that came from this in the beginning was we found that when we did take these pictures and we printed these things off and we had them there. Not not everyone saw them. Right. They might be parked in a different side. They never come by our, our tent or our trailer or whatever it was we have at the time. And so then we I decided that we had to take this particular picture. And in between innings at a baseball game, we would have to walk over and get in front of all the parents and show them this picture. OK, and so when we first started, we would just go over and show them at any given time. There was there was no like we, we didn't even think about them personally, it was just we would just whether their kid was batting. We didn't even care. We would just go get in front of them. And obviously, quickly, we realized we were getting a lot of opposition from this. And so there was a better way. So then we waited. So in between innings, we would walk over and I would have, you know, have this little team picture. And I would say, hey, guys, you know, some of you saw us before your first game taking this team picture. We wanted to, sh- to you know take a second to show you what it looked like. And let you know that if it's something you are interested in getting that they're they're printed right here on site. They're all done here today. And this is what it looks like, you know. And now imagine going going back to the very beginning of the business. I did this with a little bitty printout on a little bitty inkjet printer from your house. And I printed their little poster on a piece of paper and I would take an actual poster over that wasn't theirs before we could print on site. And I would give them this little paper of a poster of their kids and then hope that they would order them you know so it's kind of a miracle that I actually convinced people to give me money in the first place but you know (laughs) I had this thing where I had to get in front of them and I had an objective like they had to they had to like me and trust me in about two seconds so how could I convey this that I was trustworthy and that I was genuinely nice it's not fake it's not this you know put on thing I really do care about people and the kids. And I, you know, I love sports. I, I, you know, I love the kids in general and having, you know, watching them play. I know how much it meant to me as a kid and what it did for my life. And yeah, yeah. so definitely.
0: We can take this down the path of, you know, like that was, that, that was a story about sales struggles, right? Like how, going out there and changing the, the conversation. And then I love the way you ended that saying that, you know, they had to like you and trust you within the first two seconds. If you are, you know, in the sales world right now, and you're listening to this, or you're starting a business and you're about to be in the sales world, you know, like building that rapport early on is so important. Yet there's this terrible fear that you're about to call someone and interrupt their day. And the reality is you probably are, (laughs) but (laughs) like, how do you change the conversation, build that trust and rapport in two seconds? And there's a there's such a good example of this. You know, Chad. I know that you you have a very high energy, um, a very, um, what's the word? Like, it, just a very likable, high energy personality. Whereas the someone else, extremes. Drew, either you
1: love me yeah. or hate me. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. I. So that is that is unique to you. But there is another, there's another person out there. His name is Sam. He is in the sales world. And he actually, at first, it, it took a second to get used to Sam because he brought his energy first. Everything else, sort of like his personality, everything else came second. He was just so high energy. And within the next, the course of the next six to nine months, little did I realize he was closing the largest deals the biggest customers that company I'd worked at had ever seen, because they trusted him. He had this energy about himself. And you know to take this to back to the quote and just that fun fun story and that you know real sales, motivational you know talking point you brought up, if you're, if you're afraid to pick up the phone and call your prospects, you have a zero percent chance of ever closing a deal.
1: You know, it's funny you say that because uh, something I was just thinking of that some advice I was given very, very early on in the in the company when with Peter, the Nextel guy, he said to me, you will only be as successful as the uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And, you know, that could mean a lot of things. I think it can mean, you know, uncomfortable within your staff, uncomfortable with sales, uncomfortable with standing up for yourself and. You know, there are a lot of times in business today where we will talk to a director who wants a, an absorbent amount of money and we have to tell them no. And then they are rude to us when, they, when we do. And, you know, you have to be a person that can handle that. And it's not always easy. You know, even for me today, like I can tell you this, Drew, when you, when you talk, <laughs> do something that scares you, back when I first started, after the very first event that we collected all this money and we were shipping pictures, the first thing that scared me that I thought of was my freaking cell phone ringing because every time it rang, it was a customer that thought we were a scam that we had oh, taken no. their money. And so I was like every day just answering the phone was facing a fear. It was like, Oh God, they haven't gotten it. Oh God. <laughs> no, no. You know? Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I, I love how lighthearted, but also terrifying that is at the same time.
1: God, dude. <laughs> I think back to this, to this, uh, Just to this day, like thinking about those things. And, you know, even today, man, I'll tell you, I don't I I have a lot of respect for the people, you know, our company that do customer service, because I hate dealing with people that are only frustrated, you know, not you don't even word angry. But, you know, people, we live in a society where everything is about right now. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a deal to wait like two days to get something. And, you know, but people think they need it yesterday. And, you know, I'll tell you right now, I'm guilty as charged. I think it pushes people and it inspires people to push them to do more than they thought they could do. But at the same time, the companies that I see succeeding on the biggest scale, they have their policies and they do the best job. I mean, this is what they have. Like, I'm just going to give you an example of a company that we were getting transfers from for a really long time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, we were, we were buying these transfers and I needed something done. Okay. I needed this like world series thing done. And they had a policy, uh, that they would not print anything that had a, um, oh, what was it? I, I want to say if it said the word world series on it, they would not print it. Okay. Uh, it was some sort of copyright with that. I'd have to have permission from like major league baseball or something. And let me tell you, man, I threw a fit. I was so angry because we spend so much money with these guys and they would not budge for me. And you know what I found in the end is as mad as I was, I could appreciate the consistency because the one thing that I do hate is I hate anytime you're buying something that requires negotiating, feeling like you're getting screwed. You know, if you look at cars or houses Right You're buying a house, and oh, it's like, well, they listed it at one fifty, well, we're going to come in at one thirty. Well, then they're going to counter, and it's like, y- y- how do you know if you're winning right? And I could appreciate the consistency and but it created this for me. I just remember being so angry, and i and and part of it was because I was so fearful of answering the phones when people called me because I gave everyone special deals, so then in the company. No one that ever worked for me could take the phone calls because there was no consistency on what to offer or what is the shipping policy or when will we overnight something or whatever. And so then I was always dealing with things that made me uncomfortable. I hated it. And, you know, it just took someone pointing out to me like, hey, Chad, we need to be consistent and we need to stick with it, you know, and then these phone calls that terrify you will not be as frequent or as bad. Because we have a you know this this list of rules to follow, and it worked.
0: Yeah the the analogy between the transfer company and also you saying that you built consistency in your business and something that you could rely on. It sounds like it took the fear away from how do I respond to this potentially angry customer yeah. or this customer who's I know they're calling me because they want a good deal and it's not fair to the company that I'm the only one that answers. This phone call. Yeah, the, the there's a there's a concept out there. I'm sure you're familiar with it, Chad, and it's a, it's a very popular one. It's called the imposter syndrome. No, I'm sure you've, not familiar you've, with this. You're not familiar no. with this. So the imposter syndrome is is a belief that you don't deserve to be where you are. That you will get caught and you will be you will be figured out as a as a liar and a cheat in a role you're in, and. It's this is very popular in the development technology world, right? Imagine, you know, you know, thinking back to my early days of teaching myself to code, the only person who knew how, how good or bad I was was me. So I go to an interview and I interview with the people and I tell them, "Hey, I'm a junior developer, or I'm a brand new copywriter, or I've literally only done this for a couple of days." So you just have to bear with me. Yeah. You get into the job and you come up to your first hurdle when they say. I need you to code this page or I need you to write a little bit of copy and you freeze because you're thinking to yourself, the moment they see my code, they will now realize that I am a charlatan sure, who snuck into this position. And it, it is a very, you know, if you go on the, the interwebs and you're on Reddit or Twitter, it, you know, everyone has an anecdote and has a solution to this. Really, the reality is believing that if the hiring manager is smart enough, they recognized, and you, obviously you weren't lying to them. Sure. You know, you—they asked you, "Could you do it?" And you say, "Yes, but I'll need help." Um, then you're supposed to be there, and this really affected me. Really, at one of my last careers, because um, I had during the interview process, the hiring manager basically asked me, "Do you know what conversion rate optimization is?" And I said, "Yes, I know what the word means." If I start the job, and within two days, I get switched over/slash promoted to manager of conversion rate optimization. This thing, I knew what the word was. (laughs) And in short order, I had bought no less than three books on the topic, already subscribed to blog posts, Twitter feeds, and podcasts. Because rest assured, I am about to learn everything there is to know about conversion rate optimization. But as I'm doing this, there was just this utter gut-wrenching feeling like, wow, they are about to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm gonna get canned. Sure. Well, luckily, I mean, I taking this back to the topic at hand, you know, that was my that was my doing something scary, was you know, was being in a position that something unique, something that was unique to me was my responsibility. I realized though that, you know, for those fighting the imposter syndrome and for those who are daring enough to say yes when it should have been a maybe or could, um, that there's no one knows every single answer to things. And yes, there's someone who's been doing it for 20 years. There's someone who is way less junior than you, but going after those scary things, those jobs where you may feel like an imposter, it is like, that is the only way you're ever going to go up the corporate ladder or start your second, third, or fourth startup. You know, like you, you have to keep saying to yourself that no matter what, I mean, we're all, we're all effectively imposters. No one knows everything to some extent. We're we're not, no one's giving you permission to say you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here because you said, I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this.
1: Yeah. I think it's funny that you say this. And as you explained it, I started thinking about times in my life that this has affected me. You know, there were a few times where we committed to events that were way bigger than anything we'd ever done. And They asked if we could do it. Our answer was yes. You know, and boy, oh boy, were we afraid they were, you know, we were were really afraid that we probably possibly couldn't do it. Right. And but at the end of the day. We did what we do, you know, and I think that that's what that's what anyone will do in any position that you're in. Look, when you hire someone, I can tell you this. I was thinking about you and your experience when you're saying it. And this is this is one thing that I'm thinking, if. You would If I had noticed that you didn't know everything, but if after one month I brought you in and set you down and said, hey, I know at the beginning that you said you knew what it meant, but what have you done to improve yourself? And you said, okay, well, here's what I've done. I've read six books. Here are the books that I've read. I've listened to 25 hours of YouTube videos, learning what this is. And I've obsessed over your particular you know, training platform. I've gone through it six times. These are the things that I'm working on to try and improve myself. If I saw that type of desire out of a person, it doesn't matter what they're good at because they're the right person to be the best person at the job within a very short period of time. Because if they don't know the answer, they're not scared to look for it. They're not scared to tell the truth. So I think for me personally, you know, do, do I care if, you know, the imposter syndrome? I used to care what other people thought. And it was the reason that I would lie about what I had done because I really. Hadn't done anything that was special, but I, I didn't want people knowing that. But today, I just don't care. You know, like, in all honesty, if you don't like me, well, you know what? Here's what I did. I was me. I tried to be the best person I could be. I tried to be the best friend I can be. I tried to be the best, you know, boss I can be, the best leader, the best dad. And if, it, if you don't like me, well, I did the best I could. So I'm okay with that. And I think that that's what a lot of people lack is they're not willing to give their best And then they don't want to be judged for not giving their best.
0: Man, that is fantastic. I know that for those listening, you just inspired with that, that recognition that if you're feeling the imposter syndrome and you're trying and you're just putting your head down and doing the work, that's what you're, that's what you're expected to do. I I don't know a single career, you know, in in modern technology, right? Technology-based, service-based that the expectation is you bring the knowledge you have and you don't grow as a person anymore. Absolutely. You're just, you are, you, uh, the, the person I hired today is the exact same person I want 10 years from now. Like there, there no should chance. be this expectation <laughs> yeah, <no chance. laughs> that, that this person is going to skill up. They're going to improve within the company. Like there's, there's my list of expectations for them, but being complacent is certainly not one of them. And I will tell you, maybe this is the, the transitory topic is complacency. Complacency is so ripe though, right? Because we get where we're we get into a place that feels good and we want to live our lives and it's fine, but feels like that's the opposite well, of doing well,
1: things that are scary. I'd like to I'd like to address that because you know in yeah. the beginning I was saying, like for me personally, you know, I really love my life and it's the reason that I fear dying, right? Because I'm very comfortable within my life. But my life, part of my life involves self-improvement. Part of my daily routine involves reading and educating myself and you know anything i can do that that's educational on things that i enjoy or things that you know drew you might suggest something to me or a book and then i get into it and then i learn and then from that book i start finding other books that to stem off of it and when i'm driving i never listen to music i listen to books or you know podcasts and any any time i'm doing anything whenever i'm you know this morning a prime example i was at the gym and i ended up talking to a guy and you know the more you read and the, the more you realize you don't know the more you find people that are older that have life experience, you find them fascinating. You find their life stories fascinating. What is it? What is it that they wish they had done? You know, and th- this guy this morning specifically that I, you know, I think his name was Bill. He was 65 years old and he was talking to me about some of his regrets and he had sold a company, built a really big company in Connecticut and sold it. And, you know, I, I wasn't concerned about his, his wins. I was concerned about what do you, what do you wish you had done differently? Because I am still in the middle of it and I have a chance to address those things. So when I'm his age, if I do have regrets, at least they're different than any of the other regrets that I'd heard yeah, along the way. That is so
0: empowering. You know,
1: and so yeah, that is I hope empowering. so. You know, and I, I think for anyone listening, it, you just want to look at all of the people that are where you want to be and figure out what is it that they wish they had done and try to minimize those mistakes in the beginning Because look, there is a reason that, that everyone says the same thing. You know, a lot of these regrets are at the end of life. I wish, you know, my, I can't tell you how many times I hear before, you know, what your kids are moving out before, you know, what your kids are in college before, you know, what your kids are having kids and, you know, just make sure and embrace that time. and, And it, let it be special. And so often in today's society, we just work, 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 and, you know I, I try really hard during the day, you know, like right now we, you know we'll take the kids down to the beach and play with them for a few hours. We try and ride bikes, we try and do all of those things every day because it's important, and we we have to act with it, you know, being intentional on those things because I'll tell you something that's really scary is getting older and regretting stuff, and that's the scary thing you don't want to face every single day when you get older is all of the stuff that you wish you had done. You know you have to find that that happy work-life balance. And make sure, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this to you, Drew, but I've always said I consider life to be like a, a three-piece pie, okay? So basically, you have, you have money, you have time, and you have friends and family, okay? And if any of those things are missing, life is very different, okay? So look, we could have a lot of money and a lot of friends, but no time, Okay. And we could have a lot of friends and all the time in the world, but nothing we can really afford to go do other than every single day, just hang out at the park. Right. It's it's a little bit different, but we can have, you know, a lot of freedom and a lot of money and no friends and family to share it with. Again, it doesn't work. Right. So we have to find that balance and, and not measure your life against everyone else, but measure your life against your own wants and desires. If you don't want you know, a 10 million, $20 million company, that's okay. If you don't want a billion dollar company, that's okay. You know, running a company like that requires a lot of your life. And and maybe you're very good with, you know, spending time with your kids and then down the road, you know, maybe your grandkids. And in the meantime, you know, maybe you do other things, maybe you have hobbies that you enjoy and you don't just want to work on something to have to make money from it. You know, and sometimes you just want to do stuff because you enjoy it. The the guy that I met this morning, uh, Bill, I asked him, Uh, And this is probably relevant advice. He's such a nice guy. If I see him again, maybe I'll invite him to our podcast group. He, um, I asked him, or what was it about selling his company that he didn't see? What was a, a side effect that he didn't see coming? And he said, the hardest thing for me was that for 40 years, I worked from 530 in the morning until like 630 at night. Okay. And he said that whenever I sold my company, that part of me was gone. And I didn't realize how much it would affect me. And he said, you know, if I could do it over, I would have built it to be prepared where it could be sold. But I would have just kept an active role where maybe I'm not 13 hours a day, but I'm at least somewhat there and somewhat involved. But he said his kids had no interest in taking it over. And so, you know, he said for a, for a little bit, he was, he was really, really struggling because he didn't know what to do with his day, you know, and right now he's, He's down here where we are in in Florida. And he said, you know, he's, they sailed down here from, I think it was Connecticut. They sailed down and then he said that they'll spend, you know, they'll stay here for a few months and they'll go to the Bahamas for three to four months. And for most people listening, it's like, well, that's the dream. And the truth is, that's not the dream. Okay. It seems really hard for people that aren't financially in a position to afford it to think that that's not the dream. But the dream, the true dream is being able to spend your existence working on something that you're passionate about and seeing results from it, watching it grow like these are little rewards. Okay, traveling to warm places, beaches, those are little rewards. But there it's not a lifestyle you want, because look if that's the lifestyle you want, it's very easy to get that lifestyle. If all you care about is going to the beach every day, well, move to a beach town and get a job as a guy who sets out the chairs every day and you can live on the beach every day. Like there's no, per- well, I, I'm not going to say there's no purpose in that because there could be for someone. But for me personally, there's no purpose in that. And my life has to be focused on purpose. And the advice I give to any entrepreneur who will listen is whenever you build your life, intentionally build your life around purpose. Make sure that the things you're doing, you're proud of. Make sure you're not you know, screwing people over. You're not doing this. You're trying to be the best person that you can physically be. At all times, you know, and those are those are lives that you can at the end of them you're proud of, you know. And I think for for me, I I want mine to go on as long as I can and, and be proud of it as long as I can. And I, and Drew, I'm I'm almost certain you probably feel do the same way.
0: And I I think what you just described there is so important for for someone to realize. I don't think you would have gotten to that point of of. This just real, real good understanding of purpose of life and speaking with people like you said, the gentleman's name was Bill speaking with people like Bill, who, you know, like they've they've seen they've done it and now they regret it, or at least they regret an aspect of it. And what you're trying to say is take all of these things that you fear, think about the things that you would probably fear 50, 40 years from now and work very hard to attack these head-on. I don't imagine that there's a single person out there, I mean, you know, not even related to work, They're just a single per- a rock climber, uh, you know, uh, a long distance marathon runner who didn't have some fear they had to overcome. The fear of, you know, getting a shin splint, the fear of, you know, the rope snapping, which I'm sure is petrifying you as, as I'm describing this, Chad. <laughs>
1: I'm not. I'm not getting on that thing in the first place. You, don't have to worry about me. you know, like, like no,
0: no one does something that is reaching that gives them the chance to reach their full potential unless they overcome a series of hurdles, and these hurdles may be sheer will, but in the end of the day, there's there's bound to be something there
1: that's just flat out scary. Well, yes, a hundred percent, and you know, this is the last thing I'll say about just experience I've had with this. Um, when, one of my first classes in college, actually, I think it might've been my first one. It was interpersonal communication with a guy named uh, Dr. Calabrese, who's still a close friend of mine today, He's still mentioned in the book. Um, but one of the things that he had asked me, and remember, I grew up, you know, relatively, I mean, we we had everything we needed, but we were by no means well off. And one of the things that he had asked, he went around the room to ask everyone where you saw yourself at 30 or 40 or whatever it was. And when he got to me. I, he asked me where I thought, and I said, you know, I, I want to be retired. And he's like, oh, really? You know, and he instant, like instant, that type of demeanor, like, oh, oh, here we go. You know, this ought to be entertaining. And um he said, okay, okay. So let, let's, let's just start assuming some things. Okay. So I, I want you to answer my question. I said, okay. He goes, so you've, you've retired and you've got, let's say you got $10 million in the bank. You've traveled the world for two years. You bought a really nice house and you bought a boat. Okay. So now you've done all this. You traveled for straight two years, everywhere you wanted to go. You came back, you bought all the stuff you've ever thought about getting. He goes, so now you're, you're 32. Okay. So now what are you going to do every day for the next 60 years? And you know, it was probably the first time someone in my life had ever put it into that perspective, because I grew up in an area where everyone was either a farmer or they worked in like a factory. So work was never done with purpose. Work was something they had to do. And they all looked forward to the retirement part of it. And that's when their life would actually get started. And so, um, you know, he actually invited me to his office and, and we chatted for, for actually we, we ended up chatting every week after that, but he invited me in, we chatted and I said, you know, I'd never thought about that. He goes, well, I want you to think about it. He said, you know, that's not the, the secret to life. The secret to life is to choose something that you love working on every day that you're willing to endure the ups and downs and, you know, make it exciting, like enjoy your life. Don't be miserable for all of your work years and then look to live during retirement. That's totally pointless. Yes. Like that's yes. something you should be scared of. <laughs> so I think if you want to go back to to fear, that scares you. Don't do that. Okay. Like they they far away from, from being a person who can't wait to retire. How how inspiring.
0: And I, I definitely think between several of the people that we've referenced today, there is a whole host of other podcasts that could spring from this, you know, take taking it, let's take it back to the quote and then we'll, we'll talk. (laughs) I'm sure we've talked about some action items here, but let's, let's put these in stone. You know, attacking life and doing those things that are going to be significant, there's going to be some fear there. If you, if you, as Chad said, if you want to start a business, you're going to have to do some level of sales and maybe you've got a fear of interrupting people. If you're going to cold call, you're definitely going to be interrupting people, right? Maybe you want, maybe you want to be an (laughs) event manager but you have a fear of public speaking right like these are if it's a fear it's not because it's something that you're not allowed to do or something that will necessarily harm you it's a fear because of the way you perceive it and if you if you are willing to do these things that are scary then you overcome them there is usually some good that comes on the other side of it whether or not it's climbing a mountain you know doing long long distance cycling um proposing to your loved one like there's likely some good at the end of overcoming a fear
1: drew i, I want to throw on there real quick i don't know if you've ever heard will smith say this but he says that your greatest life lives on the other side of your oh, fear. man
0: i have never heard that <laughs>
1: we, this might be a two-for-one quote he's yeah, he's talking about, well, he's talking about <laughs> jumping out of an airplane but <laughs> i yeah. have no intention. With that okay but but yeah. i i don't disagree with him and yes and, and keep going sorry i just wanted to throw that no, in. no i seems so i think
0: i think that's the summary you know will smith uh, i've watched a couple of his motivational videos on youtube they're all you know exciting and his very will smith voice and his message is is good and we know the pursuit of happiness that movie that came out you know how much how much gumption he had to overcome his adversity. I mean, goodness, I feel like we're tying in four or five different podcast episodes we've had, which we highly recommend go check out after this podcast, either <laughs> go backwards or forwards. It's, either, yeah. it's fine with us. All the messages are, are relative. Um, <clears throat> Chad, do you have any next steps, right? Is there one thing that you live by or one um, way that you approach looking at something that you know that you're just going to be af- afraid of, but you know that there's some positive, some net benefit on the other side of?
1: I think for this particular, you know, audience, it's do I start a business or do I not like the fear of failure is probably the thing that scares people the most is what it means to fail. Well, I can tell you what it really means to fail, and that's to not try, you know, whether my story ends happily ever after or not. The one thing I can go down with no matter what is knowing I gave it my all. Every single day, I did every single thing I could do to the best of my ability, and I treated people right along the way. So I think the, the advice would be, if you have an idea, you know, start mind mapping and think about reverse engineering from where you'd like to be. And don't don't let the fear of failure prevent you from ever starting, because I promise you, you the thing you don't want to be are the people that I that I talk to and learn about what they regret. And it's it's generally the things they didn't do. And I can assure you, you know, I think a lot of everyone knows Amazon at this point. But, you know, Jeff Bezos said that he I think one of his quotes and I, I'm not this is going to be nowhere near verbatim. But basically it was that he could handle failing, but not ever starting and trying would be something that would be very difficult to swallow. And I think that that's pretty much the approach that all entrepreneurs have once you get all, once you get going you find that it's a lifestyle this is this is more than you know this is this is there's a community of, of people that do this, and so it's really really it's really powerful and it's not as scary as you think it is in the beginning, but once you get your feet wet, you find out that the you know the water's pretty warm. so I hope that helps Drew. I don't <clears throat> know if you have anything to add to that.
0: I think that is just about the cream of the crop of responses and next steps we have for listeners to summarize you know, as you're listening to this podcast, you know, two days, two years from now, if you can at least approach, approach starting a business, starting uh, an educational journey, starting a life that's exciting, you're going to have to overcome that, that little bit of worry and that, that doubt. And when you do that, you know, just as Chad has
1: described, you know, you will ultimately have lived a life full of purpose. 100%, 100 man, 100. You know, I think that's gonna, that's gonna lead us to next week's podcast, which I think is going to be a really good one because we're going to talk about what the, you know, what we do on a daily basis, and I think that uh, that will tie into this next quote uh, by Wayne, and I'm going to probably butcher his last name, so forgive me, but we want to give him some credit, Wayne uh, Wayne Huzinga, and he said that some people dream of success while other people get up every morning and make it happen. This has been another episode of the Poster Boy Podcast, brought to you by utproducts.com. Find and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at theposterboybook.com to grab your copy of the book.